Hey guys, so you're getting two episodes today because uh, kind of behind on putting out these episodes. So I'm busy, busy, busy. But uh, yeah, I wanted to say I was told by one of the patrons because this would actually came out on the Patreon account first that I sound a little unconfident with my growing, and it's true, guys. I'm actually going to talk to uh, I don't know. I think it's just early in the season, so for some reason, guys, I'm not the most confident when I get into stuff, but. Um, I'm always like that when I'm getting started. Then I start making money, and then I then my confidence gets over confidence gets overinflated. So, just want to give you guys a warning about that. It's kind of funny. So, with this episode, I, I was happy to have on uh, Shane McClellan. So Shane is one of the Ohio GSD guys. He's kind of famous now because Michael Jordan always talks about him and says that he's a he's got a master's degree in beekeeping. But if you speak Michael Jordan, which I do, that means that Shane is a master beekeeper to uh to my in michael's opinion and shane did work a lot with like ohio state and the or the ohio beekeeping association which i think is at ohio state but shane actually gets into that in the podcast so shane and i talk a little bit about homesteading and and where you fit in in homesteading and the big reason for that is i think people have a tendency in this space to to go overboard and just make it seem like this is for everyone and i don't think homesteading is for everyone i think you I think it, I think I would like it for everyone to get a homestead. I think that's for sure. But I think mainly the biggest thing is that I wanted people to get out of our conversation was, well, number one, the fascinating shadow uh, housing industry, which is what Shane works in. It's kind of funny, and he gets into that. But also, you know, get in where you fit in. I think that's the biggest thing. Just get in where you can fit in and go from there. So that being said, guys, we're going to go over some affiliates and how you can support the show. So the first affiliate. So this podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Actually, let me let me pull up this email so I can read it to you guys because it's a lot more fun. And hopefully I'll get an email from Audible saying, why are you doing this? Okay, this is fun. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audio book Download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's right, Windows phone users. You're not included, but if you have a Windows phone, it is included. I don't want you guys to feel out. I do. I do. My parents have Audible, and I made sure they have an account. That's on their Windows phone. Um... Mid-roll talking points, 30 to 45 seconds. This is all this thing that's sent out, and I think it's a lot more fun to read it exactly the way it says. Um, for you, the listeners of the Sample Hour podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I'm a huge fan of Audible, guys. Uh, I use Audible all the time. Um, so I there's definitely some books I'd recommend. You can always message me. I, you know, if you want to get into Wendell Berry's uh, fiction books, they're all in there. Um, they're pretty good books. Um, right now, I am reading "Thinking Fast and Slow" by Daniel something. Um, you'll see it. It says "Thinking Fast and Slow" and it has a pencil. That's a good book. It's it's a lot about psychology. I've been reading a lot about psychology and persuasion, guys, mainly so I can understand myself and be more effective um, in sales and in marketing and and not, you know, not doing that. Uh, I'm also recommending the, uh, the new, the newest version of Profit First by my friend Mike McCallowitz, who's on the show. 
Uh, then also The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Kelts. That's a good book, too. Um, great books on, on entrepreneurship and business. Uh, if you want to get into sales, How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success and Selling by Frank Betger. Big fan of that book as well, guys. So remember, to download your free audio book today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour for your free audio book. So guys, please do that. It really does help the show. Um, they pay me pretty decent for that. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, so all right, enough of Audible. We're, we're, we're moving on. So if you're interested in Comfrey, Bocking 4. So Bocking 14 is sold out. Uh, Black Locust, uh, Antonovka, Antonovka, Apple. I like to struggle saying that word, guys, because I like to sound stupid sometimes. It's fun. American Persimmon. Um, let me see what else Greg has left. Nanky, Nacking Cherry, Norway Spruce, um, and that's it. So everything else is sold out. So if you go there, use code word sample, you can buy the rest of what Greg Burns has at naturesimageform.com. Remember, use code word sample, you save 10% and get free shipping. It's quite a bargain. Uh, moving on, if you want to learn how to do, how to basically propagate uh, the pawpaw tree for free, go to versaland.tv. Uh, or just click on the link in the show notes. And Grant Schultz actually has that for free. So I just click on the link in the show notes. I actually realized that when you look at the show notes in iTunes, none of my affiliates were showing up because I, all I had was picture links. So I, I put some hypertext links in there too, guys. So if you just don't do it while you're driving. I actually got a, a ticket today for texting and driving while I was at a stoplight um, because the stoplight started to move and I was finishing my text. And I put the phone down. And I started driving down the road, and I got pulled over. So I think it's going to be like a $150 ticket. So don't text and drive, guys. It's a very bad idea. Um, I was actually kind of relieved that the text, that the cops were actually looking for that. Like That actually kind of made me feel good because it's super annoying. Because as much as I like to think I don't text and drive, I'm still a child and sometimes like to text and drive. So it's a good wake-up call for me. But anyways, enough personal information. Um, go to versaland.tv and take Grant Schultz's free course. If you are wanting to do, if you want to, if you want to get into weight loss, I highly recommend Kevin Geary's podcast, uh, rebooted body. So if you just lurk in iTunes or anything, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Um, eventually I keep saying that and I, I always just copy and paste from the previous show notes and I forget to do it. But before you, you, you want to sign up for his course, I highly recommend his podcast. Uh, it's, it's a good listening tool. Um, I went through a bunch of stuff to, to, to learn about weight loss. And I read all these books and everything. And the more I just read Kevin's course, I found all the same information there. And um, this is a great community too. So big fan of that. So click on that link. It's, um, you guys can, can support the show. Uh, if you want to start your own podcast, again, I'm still going to do free consulting until people start taking me up on it. And then if it becomes a problem, I'll stop doing it. But right now it's no problem because nobody's, nobody's signing up for podcast blast off. So there is a new template coming out. Um, and actually I'm going to take a look. There might already be out there. So, uh, there, you're, you're going to see a new look to this sample hour. Um, but if, if you guys are interested in that, 
Uh, there's a link in the show notes, and uh, it I'll like I said I'll help you guys. Um, I'm gonna help you guys uh, consult, and I'll let you guys know what I do. And then once, well, even once Greg Burns teaches me how to use GarageBand, I'll teach you guys what Greg Burns teaches me. That's the way. That's the type. Of, that's the type of guy I am, guys. And last but not least, if uh, for the affiliates, if you want to learn how to do profitable urban farming, um, I'm a big fan of Curtis Stone's course. Uh, I'm gonna keep going through it. Uh, you can actually save a hundred dollars if you click on the first link in the show notes. If you want to pay for everything up front, or you can do the payment plan, which is what I did. And that link is also in the show notes. So uh, moving on. So if you want to support the show, become a patron. So I appreciate everybody who's become a patron. Uh, the new patron is my good friend Paul Waller and Katie. So can't pronounce her last name. I'm really sorry, Katie. Great people. I'm a big fan. They're GSD years. Um, so I appreciate you guys for your your um, your patronage. means the world to me. Um, so I'm loading up. So everything with five dollars a month or above, you get access to to stuff before it comes out. I don't. I'm not a big fan of doing Patreon exclusive stuff, but I, I have zero issues giving you access to stuff before other people. If if you're paying me money, um, I'm gonna get better at putting that stuff out. But it's cool that uh, my good friend, you know, another guy. I got an episode coming out with him. He had listened to this show before. It gave me some feedback on it before I'd even had it for listeners. So, and he was like, "Hey, man, you didn't sound as confident. It was interesting. How long ago did you record that?" So I did record this episode a couple months ago, um, but um, so I don't know, guys. I express my opinions honestly or my feelings honesty, and maybe I shouldn't always do that, but I think that's you guys like it. So, but yeah, so become a patron. You can go as little as a dollar a month. Um, a person just recently did that, and I and um, I appreciate your your patronage as well, sir. And um, and if you guys just want to give it a show one time, uh, you can just use PayPal. So there's a link in the show notes for that as well. With that being said, guys, let's see what I'm at today. Ten minutes and twenty six seconds. Damn it! But uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I'm looking forward to bringing you uh, Puff App feeling forward on Thursday. All right, guys, thank you so much and make it a great day. First uh, GSD podcast, member of the community, a good friend, Shane McClellan. How do you say your last name? McClellan. McClellan? Yeah, McClellan. I, did I add a D at the end, didn't I? There used to be a D on the end, but they took it off yeah. way many years back. Sorry, keep talking. I just want to make sure I can... Uh, That's fine. I didn't know I was the first uh, GSD crew. No, well, Outside of Greg. Greg. Yeah, Greg, outside of, of Greg yeah. and them, yeah. But I feel like I have to have you on since Michael Jordan always talks you up. As yeah, a, yeah. You, one one time you have a you you're a professor at Ohio State, and then uh, you have a master's degree in beekeeping. But the truth is, the truth is, you're just you were just I a good beekeeper. Have, I did go to Ohio State. Yeah, I, I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. Yeah, a minor in transportation and logistics. So. 
Um, I did get in, I got into beekeeping, uh, oh boy, years, several years after college. Uh, I originally got in, then I got turned on to it through permaculture and, uh, thought it would be a neat thing to do. And I, once I got into it, I loved it. Yeah. And in fact, I spent, you can ask my wife, I spent hours and hours, um, in training with master beekeepers and stuff at, at, um, at OSBA and at Ohio State. Yeah. And um, uh, COBA, Central Ohio Beekeepers Association. Yeah. Uh, and learned from a lot of those guys for years. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, but you did it. How long did you keep bees? Because you, you taught Greg and Michael met you at Jack's workshop. Yeah. And yep. then, because I remember I had him on and it was, I met you at Hogtoberfest. And then Michael saw you, and he's like, "Hey, man, what's going yeah, on?" Yeah, yeah, it's been a while since I'd seen him. Um, yeah, I got into it. I was probably in it for, I'd say, four or five years. And you were doing maybe it maybe six in the suburbs too. It was yeah, yeah. Well, I had, you know, we had a small patio. I had, I remember at one point I had nine nuke hives like right on our back patio. You walk out there a few feet from you, wow. and nobody ever got stung. The heat bees were just coming and going, and I managed them, and everything was good. Um, so I did that for for many years um, until I became allergic to the bee stings. Now, how did that, that? How did you find that out? Because you were doing that, and then, um, like I remember, like Michael talks about, like it's this tragedy, which because it kind of was, because that was like a big passion for you. And then, how do you just find out that one year? you're deathly allergic to bees. Well, the, the telltale sign, and as I know now, and I can share this with everybody to help them out, what you got to watch for is when you start beekeeping, typically when you get stung, your reactions get less and less and less yeah. as you get more and more stings over, over time. But I was trending in the opposite direction, and my son was as well. Uh, we noticed he did it with me for a while. Um. I got every time I got stung, it would swell more and more, and it got to the point that I would become like extremely nauseous, oh, and wow. my whole body flushed, and I would, you could, it's just a different feeling of an inflammation through your entire body. Yeah. And then I kind of knew, and what happened was, is I went. Uh, my son was the allergist, just for seasonal allergy type stuff, and I started running all this past him. I showed him pictures of my hand that was stung. I got stung in the finger, and my hand swelled up like a balloon and um and i was talking to him about it and and he's like yeah that's that's you're definitely becoming allergic he's like the next one could be it well so that was that was pretty tough to swallow i realized i kind of needed to wind down from the beekeeping but what i did was is i chose to stick with it for a while (laughs) how many years i've probably stuck with it for two more seasons after that yeah and i didn't get stung so what I did was, is obviously I wore a bee suit. Um, I kept uh, layers under the bee suit. So yeah. the, that, that's, that's the issue. I mean, when you're out working bees and it's 95 degrees outside, yeah. I mean, I would take my stuff off and just be drenched. And it's, it's like being in a sauna for hours, yeah. you know. So it, it just it didn't work out too well and i finally got tired of that and i got down to a couple hives that i could do every once in a while and i'm like yeah it's i'm just gonna let it go and that's when you know soon after that i met greg and i'm like hey you know you want to get into beekeeping i have a bunch of equipment yeah 
maybe I can help you out. You help me out. And so you guys just traded. Yeah. So we did. I gave him all my B stuff and kind of mentored him and, and uh, helped him out. And I still do um, in exchange for a hog. And then, uh, and you, you were strictly like you, you didn't do a lot of treatments either, right? Were you? No, much no, I did every, everything natural. Yeah. yeah. A lot of beekeepers will use, you know, even, uh, corn syrup. Yeah. Um, which, you, you know, if you're feeding the bees corn syrup, you know, that's matriculating into your honey. Yeah. As well. Um, so I did everything totally natural as far as, you know, mite control and everything. Did you do like what, uh. Um, cause I know it's, it's kind of weird cause Greg and I, we're going to talk about, we're going to do like a monthly podcast and just talk about getting into beekeeping. I still need to get my, uh, foundations and, um, uh, the things you put in your, your hives. What the frames? Yeah. Frames. Oh yeah. I still yeah. need to get yeah. my frames, but, uh, it's like, I just want to catch it's, it's, if you do beekeeping, it seems like they really do it. Like. There's different levels, but I mean, like, luckily with us building all those hives at that event, like it saved us probably, we were at like 60 bucks a hive. So oh, yeah. A couple yeah, hundred bucks there, a few yep. hundred dollars there. But it's just like, I I think I'm just going to do, and it's kind of weird because I'm going to do it. I mean, you've seen my yard, so I'm just going to mm-hmm. do a couple hives back there, but just try to catch swarms. And I remember you told me that there's a good chance if I just put a hive out there with foundation, I'll just probably get some other beekeepers bees uh, as a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing happened to me as I was winding down. I had hives that had died off colony collapse disorder or whatever, something, yeah. you know, or they weren't functional anymore. And I just kind of, kind of sat it over to the side and bees showed up like the <laughs> next year. Um, but I talked to a lot of beekeepers. That's very common. Yeah. So yeah. It, I, I think, um, so what, so, so was that tough for you to, cause you were doing it i remember something else you told me which was pretty interesting was your neighbor you were doing bees for years and your neighbor had no idea yeah yeah <laughs> he was out there working pruning his tree uh one year uh he, he said is that a beehive over there i said yeah he says oh how many bees are in there i said oh if it's i said it's a pretty good hive I said, there should be around you know 60 to eighty thousand bees yeah. in there he said really and he's up close to the hive actually working in the tree and not, he wasn't getting stung. I said, yeah, it's actually been there for two or three years. That's and so he had funny. no idea. Yeah. That's so funny. So how many years do you think total you did with bees? Like it was about, it's years? about five or six, five or six years. Yeah. And I did some pretty intensive years with, uh, uh studying with Coba, uh, taking their queen rearing class and getting certified in that. Um, yeah, I did a lot of, cause you were selling trainings. with, if you were going to make a like side income with bees, you think breeding queens is probably. Yeah. The guy, the guys that I worked with there, um, these are guys that had were multi-generational grandfather was a commercial beekeeper. Father was, and they were their whole lives and they were older. Um, they said that the money now and in the future, if, if you're looking at it from a profitability standpoint only is in rearing queens. Yeah. Cause honey, it's kind of a, a hustle and i think people it's a lot of work yeah and yeah. also too from my understanding like your first year in beekeeping you, you shouldn't expect to get any honey yeah that's that's about right yeah you you want to you want to go into the winter with as much honey stores as possible to get the bees through the winter uh if you take too much it's kind of a, a balancing act after you've done it for a few years you get a pretty good feel for how you know how much i need to leave and how much i can take yeah based on the size of the hive and whatnot. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So what? So you got into bees through permaculture, but something else that was cool because now we're at your property now, and it's. I mean, we we did a tour. It's a beautiful. You have how many? You have thirteen acres. Thirteen acres. Yeah. yeah, it's an awesome property with woods and a pond and everything. And you were doing like you were doing suburban permaculture for for how many years there? Yeah, I did. I had that going for I think about three years. And in fact, when we uh, it killed me when we put the house for sale, we I, it wasn't selling because people weren't used to having all this this in their backyard, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. They wanted a, a small yard that their kids could run around in. So we came to the conclusion we had to tear it out. And I did tear it out, but I tried to transplant it here to the new place, and it hasn't really, really taken one. No, no, very few things made it. That's rough, man. Yeah. It's like a, it's an interesting thing that we were talking before, because um, I mean one thing when I got laid off, it was like a couple weeks before we we butchered all the turkeys. Yeah, and I remember something you said to me really stuck with me because you went through something similar, which was and I and I kind of want to segue this into it because it's like a big thing that I talk about. It's just uh, you know I I just can't work for somebody else, man. And and something you said really stuck with me. Because it was like, it, I'd come to the conclusion that I was never going to walk away from that job to pursue something for me. And you said, if, if a company pays you like a hundred grand a year, they own you. And it's, it's so hard. Yeah. It, it's, it's, and it was a weird thing because it was like, I was even, even though like I was working on all these businesses, side businesses and failing. And then I started, you know, the, 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 the small farm thing, I, I, I still, we'll still see it could, it's, I could fail miserably, Shane. So we'll, we'll find out, but like. <laughs> It was something that, like, even though I'd been working on it, there was still this feeling of, oh shit, like, what, a, what am I gonna do? Yeah. And, and it, and it was because you, you pretty much said the same thing because your, you and your wife have a business now yeah. Yeah. that you guys do full time. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is it's something that, like, we, we talked about and Greg talks about too. Is a lot of times we, we come out because you have this, gr- this great property and you have all these ideas for what you want to do, but then it's like you just kind of really, it's. It has to be a lifestyle decision. Yeah. And I mean, so like, what has, what has your experience has been? Because I think it's like, you know, we have Ohio GSD, so it makes it great for like doing these events and, and hopefully you can have us all out here to help you build a fence or help you do something. But yeah. it's like, uh, you know, most people that are, are doing this stuff, they're only going to be doing it part time or for fun. Yeah. And I, I think that it, it's this romantic idea to make a living off it, but I, it's. I mean, you you pretty much came to the same conclusion that Greg did. That if if you can just if you have a real money maker business that you already own, why would you why would you not do focus on that? Exactly. Um, it, you know, we going back in my story. Uh, I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase for many years. I was there for nine years, and I did other things before that. Um, you know, my wife was begging me for years to join her in the business. Yeah. And finally I made that leap and it was, it was scary, you know, weren't you kind of forced into it though? Or did you get, were you part of a mass? No, 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 I wasn't laid off. Um, uh, there was a lot of changes going on. My, my position evolved to be where I, I'd love to go to work every day in the beginning to, it became like miserable. miserable. Yeah, Yeah. It became miserable. And, you know, I, I wanted out and, um, you know, she'd been bugging me for years and I finally made the leap. You know, there's always that financial risk yeah. assessment that you make. Um, you know, hindsight, it was a fantastic move. Well, not because, I mean, just imagine like here, I mean, it's a Monday. 
and you guys are here with your daughter yep. just hanging out and yep. enjoying enjoying your life yeah exactly and it's like you guys like to travel too and we were talking like it's it's so romantic to think oh i want to run animals or do mm -hmm. this or do that but it's like if you're on the road like gene logston i just read finished his 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 last book that he wrote he was like man your animals know when you leave town because that's when they always get out yeah yeah so it's it's so what it, what have your experiences been in uh and homesteading and trying to make some money from it and i just want to bring yeah. it up because it's like i think people need to hear it because it's like everybody has this idea like oh i'm gonna do this and then you then you actually go and you hit this reality like and people don't even appreciate what i'm bringing to the market exactly yet. yeah so so here once we we moved we've lived here for about a year uh we bought the place about a year ago and we fixed it up and moved in um so we have ducks here we have chickens we want to expand to do more things. But what we're realizing is, is the amount of effort and time to put into a farm business versus our other business, which, which we do. Yeah. It, it just, it doesn't there's scale. It doesn't scale at all. Not even close. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, the farm business could never support the lifestyle we live now. No. There's no way we'd have to have you know 300 heads head of hog here and you know we'd it, we'd have to scale it way up and it, it would become our life and we'd be commercial farmers and you'd be miserable exactly you leave exactly yeah um but it's it's um yeah we we've come to the conclusion and and we had the conversation yesterday about we need to sell some of these chickens we have yeah. too many layers like yeah. we're not selling the eggs they're fully organic fed free range but when you do try to go into town people are they don't care they're like oh farm eggs the dollar or a dozen yeah yeah there's there's uh, a lot of people around here selling them for one and two dollars a dozen duck eggs included quail eggs included in that price range and i'm just thinking there's no way yeah i can't I, compete with that i think people just it's it's i don't think people crunch numbers and i think that they're or they they are just getting cheap feed, or I think a lot of times, man, I just think people don't. They're like, well, I'm making money because somebody's giving them money, but they're not thinking like, okay, what's this cost going into it, or what's, yeah. And I and I think it's interesting because like, you know, Greg's Greg's run a successful business and he's crunching numbers. Has a talk with Susan is like, I really need to scale back, and it's like, so he he's doing less hogs this year. He's yeah. He, he thought he was gonna farrow, and then he's he's gonna have a you know keep a pig back to Pharaoh and he's like, no, that's just going to eat it. Like it's yeah. just, or, and it's like you, you come, you and your wife have a successful business. So when you guys crunch numbers and you're looking at, okay, putting this into it, like what do we really, is it really worth the time to put into it to, to get sales? Is it really yeah. worth the time? And, and I think it, it, it's, I think eventually, like if, if I can get my shit together, Shane, and I can, have have a place for you guys to sell it but it's like it's it's just so hard like it's hard to it's it's you have unless you i feel like unless you you have outlets of distribution it's it really has to just be okay well let's let's just grow for ourselves yeah and, and that's what we've evolved to here yeah. yeah it's it's been a grandiose idea of having all these animals here and and yeah. having the homestead that makes money on the side and a good farmstead is is downgraded to well we'll get animals but unless they lay eggs we're not carrying them through the winter yeah so i've, I've been there and now i'm 
scaling back to like, do I really want to do some of the things that I thought I wanted to do? Yeah. And, you know, if you have a business, if you could build a business to make six figures or more, it's kind of, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can never come close to that with, with the farm on 13 acres. Absolutely. And then also too, like you guys travel, like I know it was funny because I first time went down to Florida, James was there. The second time you guys were down there, yeah, you were yeah. busy with stuff. Yeah. And it was like going down there in the wintertime, it was so nice because it was like, man, it's, you know, it's 70 out, it's 60 out, it's miserable and cold here. You know, if you could, if you could take your other business, move down there and, and do that and, and spend some time and, and snowbird and stuff like that, why wouldn't you? And then yeah. it, you really want to create a trap for yourself too. And it's, it's just interesting to think about, man. I think this is all about, I mean, everything for me is about lifestyle. And I think, and I think it is for most of my friends or you know, most, most Ohio GSD guys. I mean, most people are doing this stuff for a lifestyle. Like we come together cause we like the community. We like the lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it, and the, the reason why I wanted to like, kind of like just why well, I'm kind of stuck on this right now is just because it's, you know, people, it's easy to get sucked into that grandiose idea and it's easy to, to not, to, to romanticize everything. And, and, you know, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I think if it, it just like, like Steve Harbolt, like Steve Harbolt, he was getting into farming and he, he tried to, wanted to try to do that. And then it's like, I think he just kind of thought, and then he, he's starting to scale back and get out of it and still fee, feel where he is comfortable in the zone. And now he's, you know, he's opening up his own audit, like mechanic shop. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, why don't you leverage those skills you already have? And I think that's, it's an interesting thing to see, man. And it's, it's, it's cool because it's like, you can still be in this green space. You can still be in this community, but, but then at the same time, it's like, where do you really, where do you really fit into it? And I think, and I, I think I'm still trying to figure that out, man. Like, I don't, I don't want to do farming. It's always evolving. Yeah. yeah I don't. It- I don't want to do farming the whole time, man. I think if I can get in there and I think, I I think I need to start doing it now, but as soon as I can step back and and have somebody else do it for me or something else, I think I should. Yeah. Cause I like doing this. I like going to people's houses, (laughs) talking (laughs) to them, hanging out. And like, and I just think it's, uh, I don't know, man. Like I I think that's, I think people not, I don't think enough people are talking about, lifestyle and what they really want in the lifestyle and i think it's that's what i like about gsd and i think that's what like makes us all come together i don't know how i got in this shane this was supposed to be a podcast <laughs> no, it's, about it's you. funny you're talking about florida and stuff one of the things we're doing we have an office we expanded into new jersey yeah the ohio business went down quite a bit in our market do you want to talk about real estate and yeah because like, i think that's interesting too because uh I cover that. I mean, now that I'm a, a new homeowner and yeah, congrats. And, yeah, man. In the, in the, in a up and up and coming area, which is weird. Cause that place was a dump probably five years ago, but now it's like, I think it's at the right time. I, I definitely came in at the right time since rents are going up, but yeah. So you guys, I mean, so your main, your main hustle is, is what your guys main it, business. What we mainly do is we list foreclosed homes. Yeah. And that that's a whole different, uh, business in and of itself. Um, a traditional real estate brokerage lists homes and represents buyers and sellers. What are the bread and butter of our business? We do that too, but the, the bread and butter is dealing with uh, foreclosed homes from HUD 
some quasi-government entities from private uh, hedge funds and things like that. So what's going on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't fully understand is there's a whole lot of paper trading. Like for example, you said you just you got a mortgage. Now you just member, yeah. yeah, you just bought a bought a your house. Um, a, like say the mortgage holder that that you had or with now sold that paper. Yeah, you'd still own the house. You'd you'd be paying the new mortgage holder. But that happens all the time in mortgage. It does. It does. It happens quite frequently. But there's a whole level of trading that goes on with defaulted mortgages. So they're trying to gauge, you know, the, here's a portfolio in Columbus, Ohio. What's, what's it worth to us? And then a hedge fund may buy that. And then they may outsource to us to sell the properties. So why do you think, do you think Ohio's, because uh, Ohio, Ohio was probably big. When it, after 2008, Ohio started to get big. And then it's, it, when do you think it kind of peaked out in the Midwest for, uh, foreclosure sales well foreclosure sales were uh boy they've been big until about a year ago it's really dropped off for the last year and why do you think that is it's not because you would think it you would think that foreclosures are down but it, it actually doesn't work that way yeah there's such a lag in getting the houses to the market so what's happening is just the mortgages are being sold and sold and bundled and resold and unbundled and sold over and over again. Yeah. And at, in that time, the, the houses just sit there. They sit there for years. Even when we were real busy, you know, three years ago when the market was huge, the the houses that we were getting had sat vacant for minimum two years. Minimum. Many, we're getting properties now. I just went into one that's been vacant for eight years. Yeah. Mine yeah. up. So my house was in an estate and it sat vacant for seven years before I moved into it. And I think that's how most of those are in, in Linden. Yeah. And then it's so, so what happens, uh, like what happened? Because a lot of times what happened, I guess they don't pay, estates don't pay taxes and then the cities get them. Now that, that would not be this who, yeah, we don't that you only handle if the banks have them. Yes. If, yeah. If the mortgage holder had them. That's so weird. Like, I think it, it, the real estate market is so interesting to me because I feel like no, but most, I'm going to say 80% of the people in this country or more have no idea how any of it even works. Oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, the paper trading is, is what makes it complicated. I'll give you an example. When I worked at JP Morgan Chase, yeah. huge financial institution, we would underwrite mortgages. As soon as the property closed, we would turn around and sell that to the federal reserve reserve. So if that property ever got foreclosed on, it would become a HUD property. And what is HUD? Well, uh, housing and Urban Development. It's it's a wing of the government. It's part yeah. of the government. So think of it that way. So the Federal Reserve technically isn't part of the government, but yeah, it's, it's maybe we could argue a bit of an incestuous relationship at yeah. a minimum. <laughs> but, you For know. sure, yeah. Um, so what what people don't realize is the mortgage industry is really controlled by the Federal Reserve and HUD now because most of the big institutions when they close a loan turn right around and sell it to them. Yeah. The paper, the mortgage. Do you see... Now, like I talk about Charles about this all the time and I think because you're actually in this industry, do you see another 2008 happening? 
Or do you well, think they're, that they're just going to manufacture it as long as they can so well, it doesn't happen? It, it's all varied forms of kicking the can down the road. Right now we have, there's a term in the industry called the, the shadow inventory. <clears throat> and what that is, is... That sounds scary. It, it is scary. It's real scary. Um, what that is, is, for example, all these, there's the foreclosures, even if they're down in Ohio, which they are, they're not down... So they're not equal with the rate of them going to the market and getting sold. So what's happening is they're sitting vacant and that's adding to the shadow inventory. So the shadow inventory is all these homes that are vacant that have already been foreclosed on. They're just sitting there. Yeah. So there's so many of them of these houses. If we put all those houses on the market tomorrow, it would crash the market all over again. And it's supply and demand. So what happens is since remember I told you yeah. the the government has indirect and direct control over a lot of that. So what they do is they manipulate that inventory in different states at different times to make the housing numbers look good. Uh, you know, housing sales versus sales prices. The you know the demand goes goes up because there's not much inventory. Sales prices come up and they every, the economy looks good. You know, and they'll shift back and forth. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. The housing number sales go down, then they'll trickle some out in inventory. So they just do they just basically choose which state they're gonna is it up to the state? Is it up to so how does that work? Because you guys just opened this it's, office in New Jersey. Yeah. So is that because the the Jersey market is starting to yeah to pick it, up? We we uh we had clients, you know, begging us to do business in other states uh for some time and and Business, like I said, went down in Ohio quite significantly. So we were like, well, let's take this opportunity and look at other states. New Jersey right now is just booming. Yeah. And, the you know, from our perspective, obviously, you could do the math. The margins are so much better because the homes there, even a foreclosed home so here, crazy. Yeah. may sell for forty, fifty, sixty thousand. 60000 Yeah. <clears throat> you're not going to get there. a house for fifty grand. And there, yeah. you, know, you know, you're getting houses that are... Two hundred thousand to six hundred thousand. What do you think my house would be there? Oh, in New Jersey? Yeah. Oh, it would be probably two fifty to three hundred. That's insane. Yeah. And I yeah, got and what forty five thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a big uh, big difference. Uh, my wife and I lived out there for a couple of years before we moved back to Ohio, uh, so we had a tie in there with that. And uh, now we're looking to. It's funny you were talking earlier about Florida. We're going to open up shop next step in florida florida is an interesting place and uh i heard i've i've made mention i started listening to mike mccallitz's podcast he's in new jersey from uh the profit first guy yeah i listened to a couple episodes and he made the same observation like so florida has this boom because all these baby boomers are moving down there but they're building all these new homes and they're like it's like a house the size of yours with a yard this uh, smaller than mine. Yeah, yeah. It's so stupid. Like I don't, I don't get. I like, I don't. And it's like the lowest house is three hundred and fifty grand, and it's and it's like, and and I and I see that here too. Like there's this whole new home ownership thing that or new home. Like a lot of my friends that got laid off and they got jobs. They're selling homes for like Ryan Homes and stuff yeah. like that. And it's like there's so many vacant houses, and it's like why aren't they buying them? And now you just tell me, well, they would crash. Put a lot of yeah, people if, out they, of if they were all in the market tomorrow, it would, it would the supply would go sky high. Uh, you would 
you know, you'd be selling to mainly probably cash investors for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Um, and it would drive the prices way down. That's so it's, crazy. It's, it's just basic, uh, basic supply and demand, demand economics. That's um, and that's what's man. being manipulated. So it's, uh, man, that's such a fascinating aspect of real estate, man. The yeah. shadow, the shadow, the shadow, shadow inventory. inventory. Yeah. So how often do they... Like, do they have like a certain number when they when they list houses, or do, is, what is it like a certain percentage that they try to list at a time? You mean the amount yeah. of homes they put on them? Well, obviously, now that they have a this shadow inventory, you have to manage it because you don't want to crash the market all over again and release them all in a day. Yeah. So you you have to sit back and you have to since it's just like so many other aspects uh, in our economy and and. The world we live in, the government's always kind of playing games with different things. This is just another one of those kicking the can down the road, and now we have a whole whole issue to manage with it. Yeah, they can't just release them. So, so you know, if home if sales go down, the number of sales they they may release some. If the prices are high enough and inflated in the market, they could bring it down. Make yeah. you know if there's bad news stories that home prices are too too high for new home buyers and how can they do it and this is unfair well you know next month uh, housing may turn because the government may release more and drive the house prices down again that's so crazy yeah so man that's so fascinating like do you think uh man i had a question i was going to ask you and i just totally forgot about it uh no, that's okay like the mortgages so like it's it's kind of like right what putin said when he said that, I don't understand the U.S. economy. They just buy and sell each other's houses. And that's like the whole paper market, right? The whole yeah, paper the, trade. The, the, the paper trading is huge. There's entire hedge funds that, um, <laughs> that are, that's all they do. Is they, they, even after the, the previous crash uh, that came in the real estate market, there's still these hedge funds trading paper. It's, it's really it's still they're still doing derivatives in another in other words it's still going on um some of the things that we've seen even in our market there was um uh, there are chinese hedge funds that buy properties yeah it come to find out they some of these hedge funds are given grants by the united states government to buy homes with strings attached so typically what these strings are are well you're going to you can't you can buy it but you can't resell it until you rent it for 2 years. That's uh the city does that too. Yeah. The guy that owns yeah. my house, he's got this property from the city that he bought and some guy tried to buy it from me. He's like, "Well, unfortunately, the way I bought it, I have to rent it for X amount of years before I can sell it to somebody else." Yeah. So it's that's like it's it's like a it's strings attached. Yeah, it's manufactured. it's like manufactured I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's people need a place to live, but it's just it is it's, it is. It, but it, it, it's, it's, it's playing another, with fire. I feel it's like. another way of manipulating the market. So what we were noticing about these hedge funds that were buying even some of our listings and other ones, they were bidding the properties up so high, they were paying way above market price for them. <clears throat> so if you were a new home buyer and you wanted to buy that house, you were, you were going to get outbid. The reason you're getting out bed is because they got free money from the government that they have to spend. And that's the stuff Charles talks about all the yeah. time. Like you get, they literally give, give money away to rich people with pretty much no interest. Not rich people, yeah. but people that already have money and they have pretty much no interest on it. And then 
they can buy property and, and rent it out and they're literally making money without even putting any skin in the game. Exactly. It's yeah. such a it's such a messed up thing. It's so interesting, man. It's it's uh I don't man, it's 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 a it's a big business. There's yeah. a whole you know, I've I've we've been in it for a while, but you know, I've looked into like note note trading and stuff like that. There's a lot of money in it. You can you can buy and sell private mortgages and make you know, 20 plus percent return pretty quick and easy on your money. Um, it's just that like big institutions don't have in like the federal reserve. They don't, I don't know that they have the infrastructure to discount notes. So there's, there's, there's a way to paper trade. You buy, you buy a hundred thousand dollar mortgage for say 80,000. And then you go, you could go to the home, the homeowner and say, you know what, if you refinance this or pay cash, I'll settle this for 90,000 tomorrow. We just made ten thousand dollars really quick. Well, but you know yeah. that, that kind of that goes on on the private side. That's how that works. Yeah. But there's a lot of private investors that do that kind of thing. But you would think that these giant hedge funds and government quasi-government entities would think you know do the time value of money calculations and know we can get a great, amazing rate of return in like ninety days on this if we did it this way. But they don't do that. So what is, so they just they run just, them out and sell them, and that's so weird. But, but it, then again, I guess it doesn't matter to them if you're printing the money too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of works that it's you don't need that, to you don't need to look need to look at the uh, time value of money when uh, you're printing it. That's so, so yeah. interesting, man. Yeah. It blows my mind, and I think that's a <laughs> it's it's such a, a conundrum to think about and unpack because it's like there's so much stuff that goes on, and people just don't. Like you, you people are like ask questions, but they never look into it. And even then, when you start to look into it, you think you have an idea, and then you're like, "It's like going down the rabbit hole." Yeah, it's, it's like, like yeah. I don't know shit. Yeah, and, and I'm it, sure I don't know the half of it too. Yeah, know? and then there's people in little pockets that figured out this one little pocket, and they're probably just making a killing because mm-hmm. nobody even knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting, yeah. man. What do that's you? So, so where do you see like with? Like, what states do you think have the most potential coming up with, uh, with, uh, um, with the doing releasing you, foreclosures? Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I don't have an insider's point of view. Like, I'm not buddies with uh, some congressman to know. Hey, you know, this state <laughs> they're going to trickle out big time in the state next. Um, you know, you just kind of network within the industry and you find out. Um, you know, New Jersey's hot right now. Florida's been hot for a while, and I think it will continue to. It, there's yeah. a huge boom, like you were talking about, down there, and that's that's going to continue to be a a, a hot market. Um, but there's other states too, you know. There's there's some states out west that are. I think Arizona's looking to. They've had some interesting fluctuations in their real estate market in the last. What about Nevada with all half. their empty neighborhoods? Yeah, I've heard Vegas. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a weird thing. My friend's dad. He actually, it was like the beginning of the end. He had this, it seemed like he had this really good, successful insurance agency. And then out of the blue, like one year, my buddy's like, yeah, he was financing everything. And then he bought this house in Vegas and he was going down there to gamble all the time. And I wonder how many guys are like him that bought these houses and because they were told it was going to be this great investment in, in Las Vegas. And then it just, they just all plummet. They're just empty neighborhoods. Yeah, and then you're dealing with, uh, you know, the paper on trading on that is going dirt cheap. 
So people are making calculated risks or, or they're either that or they're institutions that held their own notes and they're just stuck with them now. Nobody will even buy the notes because you have entire communities. It's hard yeah. to liquidate. When you have, we have dealt with, we're dealing with a situation like this in New Jersey where um, institutions will have bought, have financed and mortgaged entire subdivisions and darn near towns and areas. And the foreclosure rate's so high, it's gone downhill and it's it creates it's like the shadow inventory scenario yeah for the bank so the bank's saying well i can't just dump this entire subdivision on the market tomorrow yeah and but then again the other side of it is is if i got to get some people in there cheap on the first wave because nobody's going to want to buy the first properties if the whole neighborhood's vacant yeah and there yeah. isn't there aren't banks only allowed to hold on to property for so long or do they change that law uh, there's different well there's there's different state laws and different federal laws that that you know but I, I think they can get around that by selling the note so if you sell the note to your an entity that your brother-in-law owns <laughs> you know for dirt cheap yeah. then the the clock may reset itself so to speak I saw so this bank in Pittsburgh had financed this mall it was like this this area in Pittsburgh and it took like Oh man, there's actually a couple of them. I'm not sure, but there's two malls that close. They built these malls and they're like million dollar properties. And my my one buddy's because I I read about it and then uh, but basically what happened was is the bank paid like finance this mall is like 1.3 million or something crazy to 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 finance it. So then they auctioned it off and they put the building up for auction and they bought it from themselves from a for a hundred dollars so they wouldn't have to report the loss yeah so they could get it off their books and then it's it's just like fuckery like that that it's like yeah how much is that going on well that happens constantly in ohio if, if a, a when a house goes to the auction block you, 99 times out of 100 you're gonna if you want to buy it as an investor you're gonna get outbid by the bank the bank's going to send an attorney as their representation, and they know the sky's the limit. It's a wash on their books that they're going to buy it back so they can manage the the foreclosure from there. That's yeah. so funny, man. Yeah, I went to, uh, there was a house that was for auction. It was starting at 500 bucks, and we were going to pay, we said we were going to max out at eight grand. Was it a private auction or was it a? I think it was private. Well, I think. Or was it, it a? I think it was public. Well, was it the courthouse steps or? No, no, it was at the. It was at the house. It was online. Oh. It was an online auction. Oh, okay. And then we it went up to like eighteen grand. I don't think there's a lot of private. I, I don't think there's a lot of courthouse style auctions in my neighborhood. I don't know. I don't. I just don't see that because it's it's my neighborhood's so weird. It's like this forgotten place like you can get property pretty cheap and a lot of time it's from an estate mm -hmm. it could have been like an estate auction or something like that like the people had died or something like that and then they just put it in, up for auction i don't know yeah. though i i what are the different like so what are the differences for the main part so if you're going to an auction and you wanted to get property what auction are you more likely to in, encounter the bank i guess if that, the if bank if it's question. uh that's if it's a that's a foreclosure, or if it's a uh, a tax sale where maybe it was owned free and clear, and maybe there's a like a death situation or probate, or they're literally they own it free and clear, but they can't pay the property taxes. Um, that's a possibility too. Hmm. Yeah. So what so what happens? So what what's like the difference with 
a city owning city owning property versus like the banks that's kind of a new trend that we're seeing um where a lot of our clients are donating well sometimes we'll have them listed for a while and they'll turn around and they'll tell us um pulled off the market immediately we're donating this to the city of columbus yeah and they you know there's there's been different articles and stuff i've seen and heard it it sounds like politically there may be a little bit of a strong arming from the city of columbus to some of these uh note holders the, the bigger institutions yeah and it's it's uh a lot of that goes on i think um like one new strong strong arming that i'm seeing did you see that new law that was just passed where you can't use plywood for vacant properties anymore you have to use the clear plastic no i've actually that's it's like i'm it, glad you're it, telling me that i'll, it, have, to, I'll have to look into that because that, that happens on a lot of our properties yeah it just yeah. happened and like now they're because they're they're saying Why plastic but somebody could break in really easy yeah I mean, you just a razor knife and just walk right in yep and that's and that's they're saying it's like a blight but i think it's a way for them to to strong arm into like for i think it was probably for that reason because i know the city what the city i know was doing is and maybe it was you that told me this but basically uh like old town east or not old town east marion village um my buddy and i we have this property that i we got like dirt cheap and it was like it's i think we got it for like six grand or something and i just got in on it because he he wanted to get it and i had some cash and so there's like a lot of work that needs done and i would like you know to sell it to somebody that wants to redo it and not have to put any more money into it mm -hmm. but he's he's put money into it but like i know they started immediately harassing uh my buddy say oh you need a new roof oh you have to fix this you have to fix that and so apparently what they'll do is if you don't have money to do the repairs mm -hmm. and they strong arm you into donating it to the city like oh well you can't do this well you know what you could do instead of us finding you for not being able to make these repairs you can just donate it to us and we'll give you a break or something yeah. like that wow yeah I, I i did i have heard some of that stuff going on i wasn't aware of the window thing that's uh, it's, usually that was last week the big thing one big thing that we deal with in in not so good neighborhoods is copper thieves yeah that's a big issue um but man if you just put plastic up copper thieves are going to have a heyday they, i mean yeah they can and, just walk right in the house easily and, that's they, what, and those are the only neighborhoods we have to board up in or the you know war zone real real high crime areas that aren't yeah safe to be in all the time yeah it's it's interesting man i i wonder there's just so much i feel like there's there's so much money in real estate and that like you i, th I feel like there's just there's gonna be some local city person or some local person that like and and I'm not sure why they're doing this, and it's like statewide now. But it's it seems like somebody probably lobbied it to get it for their area, so then they could bully it. And I'm I feel like it's in Columbus because I like I oh, drive it around, definitely is in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I drive around my neighborhood and just see how many boarded up. I mean, you go down, it's like you'll see a nice yard. Someone takes care of their house. The, the house right next to them, it's boarded up. They don't like the city will come in and find whatever owner, and then they'll. They'll redo the the yard or just cut the grass or something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, it's an interesting thing, man. I, 
It's funny. I didn't know we'd get down this rabbit hole, Shane, but I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah, I, th- I thought we were going to talk about bees and homesteading <laughs> yeah, and yeah. farming and, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. No, that's fine. That, that's, it can go wherever the conversation That's what I like goes. to do. That's yeah, fine, you're yeah. asking me. You're like, I don't know. Let's keep it organic. And I'm like, you know what? Like, Shane works in this really niche industry. No, that's totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a niche industry. It's uh yeah yeah it's 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 interesting um and you're right a lot of people don't know that the ins and outs we see so much it's just you know we just shake our heads at it like these news stories like like about how the you know home prices are going up and the economy is improving and we're just shaking our heads we're like yeah we know why you're just (laughs) playing games with the shadow inventory or you know there's so much inside influence from you know big brother yeah on all that goes on with within every industry and i'm just looking within the real estate industry so our eyes have been opened from that industry so if you just think you know what people in other industries are probably have the same kind of insights that that i do yeah and they're like man this is crazy people don't know this they don't they don't realize what's going on well you look at education too like you look at oh, yeah. student loans, you look at, it's just like, and I feel like healthcare, I feel like all these bubbles are just tied together. Yeah. Like everything definitely. is, everything's tied together. And if one goes, it's going to take down a portion somewhere else. It's like, well, well, why, how is this even connected? Well, it got clumped in with the paper trading or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, man. Which ties back up to homesteading and why, yeah. why it, does, it does, it does, it come really full does. Circle, you know, you, to assume that there's complete economic stability uh, in perpetuity from now forward in our in our country and in our world is silly, man. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of you know people in our circle and stuff. Maybe that's one of the re- one of the reasons they uh, obviously get into homesteading and growing some of their own food. And you know, the, another aspect I look at it from is growing healthier food. Yeah, growing it more naturally. Well, because the food industries. Yeah. that's really yeah we we'll just watch a few documentaries on that <laughs> yeah. How, yeah well and it and it goes back to two like you watch the documentaries so then you're like i'm feeding my chickens organic feed yeah yeah and then it's like even because greg doesn't his pigs i mean it's like and that's kind of tricky too because then you have to pay for certification but if you can find somebody that's making feed that's non-gmo yeah and you know they're doing an organic way then it's it's like a it's just there's a lot of fuckery there too even in small yeah. scale farming man like going to meetings and and listening to people try to talk yeah we're we're trying to become organic and then I'm sitting there and I'm like oh I'm not going to make friends cuz I'm not going to lie here and I'm like yeah I just don't see value in getting organic certified yeah, yeah. cuz then I feel like I'm inviting somebody to regulate me or I'm yeah. inviting somebody yeah. to put their business where it doesn't belong or try to tell me that Oh, I need to do this for this reason versus me studying it and figuring out what's what's best. And it's 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 really strange, man. Like it's it's really strange to. I I think that's what's driving uh, groups like ours and guys like us to do what we're doing because yeah. people they know what's going on in the organic food industry and it's not definitely not good for the farmers, but no. the farmers feel like they have to do it so people will buy their stuff and know that it's organic yeah that's how you tell them or you go small scale and local yeah and you say hey come to my place this is how i grow my food yeah. this is this is what i feed my pigs this is where i get the feed 
this is how I paddock shift them and run them through the forest. So they yeah. root in the forest naturally and they eat the acorns in the fall. And this is how I do it versus, you know, somebody else that's like running an organic farm and they have 2,300 head of hogs yep. out west. And even then, like organic meat, I mean, there's a great documentary called American Meat that uh, I had the guy on the podcast, my friend, uh, what's his name? Anyways, he's a good guy. Yeah, he, uh, I can't remember his name. It will probably come to me, but he went to Salton's farm. He read uh, uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and it's it's the only, I didn't know organic meat was pretty much still factory farm meat, but they can just go outside. Yeah, yeah. And they don't is. They don't spend time in a forest. They don't spend time being a pig or and then it's like chicken too if you look at it's like well what they'll do for chickens is they have a door so the chickens can go outside if they want to yeah but they have no desire to go because they don't even know and sometimes they're on concrete when they do go outside yeah yeah they're not even on grass or the, the earth and touch yeah yeah it's just it's just there's a lot of fuckery and then like also too some you were saying like a lot of these people get organic certified they, it costs them an arm and a leg. It's like $3,500. And then every time they come and inspect you, you have to pay an inspector's fee. But you can you can qualify for an organic grant. And so then it's like, so it's like they're, it, the weird thing is, is that I see you go to like some meetings and, and it's, and I'm not, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like I, I think any less of these people, because I don't. They're good yeah. people. They're oh, they doing, are. They're doing what they believe is is best, but it's like, I don't think you want to make small scale farming like big ag we don't need we don't we don't need subsidies like that's the last thing we want yeah. and it's like you don't want to you don't want to get you don't want to get a crutch and then it's like you know they're they're talking about good things which yeah if it works out it'd be great like they're trying to lobby so farmers are treated like other public service workers so your student loans are forgiven and all this stuff and it's like you know yeah. i'm i'm just going to try to pay them off <laughs> like yeah or maybe they're going to be forgiven from time. I mean, that bubble's going to burst. Like something, I feel like something's going to happen. Yeah, paying farmers not to farm their fields and, and yeah. they're different. Yeah, there's so many agricultural programs. The agricultural industry is really, uh, you, you know, we were talking about the the kind of the banking and mortgage industry for a while, but you, I don't think you have to be an insider in the agricultural world to see how messed up that system is in our country yeah. and the subsidies are going to areas they shouldn't go. And, you know, it's, you know, the, the government's kind of taken over, uh, or the organic label and they're instituting all these fees and everything for the farmers. And at the same time they say, it's so okay. for example, you know, they found tons of glyphosate in, um, and wine from California that's organic. And you know what the reason is? Why? Because it's organic it, as long as you spray it between the rows of the grapevines. As long as you're not spraying it directly on the grapevines and the grapes, it's still organic. That's so crazy, and, and man. That, so, so now people are, you know, getting their wine from Europe and places like what that. What about organic, don't stuff. organic beekeeping? Uh, is there fuckery there? You know, I, I never got involved in any of that or, or honestly or even heard much about that. But I, I, I don't know. I just figure there's a term. You know, I, beekeeping. You know sure it's not I don't know that think. they, I wouldn't be surprised if the organic label tries to, tries to get into that business. I mean, now organics, hydroponic and, uh, you know, Elliot Coleman, who helped spearhead organic label. Now it's like, he's, he's going to like, he's not dead yet, but he's getting pretty old and man, he does not, 
I heard him on Farmer to Farmer, and he is not a fan of making hydroponic operations organic. Okay, and I don't blame yeah. him because it's like, like, look, I think hydroponics and and I think like aquaponics is is a cool project for retirees. Yeah, but it's just I'm one guy. He's doing aeroponic, and he's a friend of mine. He's growing his own food, and he because he doesn't have a yard. And I'm like, this is perfect for him. And he's like, you know, I have this idea to put it in schools and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well, what are you? He's like, he's like, so I'm thinking about selling it. And he's like a sales guy. And a lot of sales guys just think sell, but they don't think about what is it costing to put into it. Yeah. Especially if you've done it for somebody else. And I said, well, well, how much are you yielding? Like, what weight are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and what is it? Is it really worth trying to do this commercially? And he had, he had no idea. He'd never even crunched the numbers. You know, I, I just think in general what what I'm realizing and what so many of us in our group and community have realized that there's such a, a big, big brother control over agriculture that the only way that you're going to be profitable from a business standpoint is to do things the commercial way. Yeah. In which is the reason most of us get into this is because we realize that the the commercial way is very unhealthy, not only for us but for the animals. Yeah, as well. It's just not not the way we want healthier food and more natural food, and so we're trying to get away from that. But when we do the small scale on our own and try to sell it, the the price difference because the modern agriculture is subsidized down so low. It really is. I've the had, prices are, are so recently, low, artificially low. It's it's ridiculous. The I've had recently, food. it's like different restaurants because, you know, I mainly focus on like greens and stuff like that. And I've had, and I've gone in and, and guys just straight up say like, I think it's cool what you're doing, but can you beat $4 a pound? And I'm like, no desire to, man. Like, yeah. And there's, there's, the, no, there's, no, there's, there's no not way. enough profit margin. I'd make 20 cents for the day, you know, wouldn't be, my work. Yeah. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be worth it. So I think there's still like, there's still going to be niches. And I think. Man, if if you don't have a good market, it, it's tough. I think you can make the system work, and I think there's there's guys figuring out ways to get into small grocers, which is what I want to try to do. And that way, you don't have to deal with chasing down chefs or like I I was I I this morning I delivered someplace, and the guy ordered late, but it's like yeah, I don't really mind. Like whatever, it's I don't have many customers, but in the future, this would never work. And it's like that that type of shit you don't get from like a, a big business. Or even a smaller, bigger business that just just bring it this time every week, and I'll pay you money. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I think there's 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 definitely niches, but I think you have to have you just have to have a market, man. And you have to. And I think there's ways you can get into it. And I think there's ways to strategize it, but it might take you a few years to oh, figure I, I, it out. I think it's doable. You know, we live on 13 acres. Yeah, um, I, I definitely it's, think people can make a go at it. But I think what you need to to do is you need to run the numbers and take focus on your one or two highest profit margin things, yeah. whether it's pigs or ducks or duck eggs or duck meat. I think it's more the more unique stuff like that. But like chicken eggs in my town, Everybody people are selling them. them for a dollar, two dollars a dozen. Yeah. And if I'm feeding mine organic and they're really free range, yeah, they don't care. I mean, if I can get them for a dollar a dozen down the street, even if he's the guy down the road is feeding them a cheap, you know, feeding commercial. Yeah, styrofoam, whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna pay a dollar a dozen, and you you can't compete in yeah. that market. So, but you get, there's there's niches. You you just got you have to find them. You have to find out where the profit margins really are. And I think you have to find. And and I think that's the thing too. I mean, you could always. So let's say 
you scale back with your birds and then you actually start you find some a way to move them you can always scale back up if you want yeah, to exactly and i think that's the beauty of it i think you, you get in you, you you play in the water i think it's worth doing like i mean eventually you're gonna have some pigs here yep but how many you don't know and then it's yeah. what what the appropriate time is going to be. You'll you'll figure that out. But it's like, it's it's cool that you're at least here, so you can try stuff. And but it's just, and, but the the main thing is is make sure it's always fun and make sure it's not taken away from anything you really else you really want to do. Well, exactly, and that's why we've decided to scale it back. You know, we were yeah. thinking of doing five pigs, keeping two or three for ourselves, and selling the other ones. Now we're like, you know what? Let's let's just do three. Let's yeah. just do three for us. Maybe we'll sell one. Maybe we won't. But yeah. we could do three. We could find the freezer space for three. Absolutely. Um, and do a few sheep and just kind of focus on us now and see what works and what doesn't work. We may do. Maybe we'll do pigs. We haven't. We haven't done it yet. Maybe we'll do it and find out. Oh, this really sucks. I'm just gonna buy them from Greg. Yeah. I'm not gonna deal with this crap. You know. Yeah, but it's it's worth. But it's like it's still fun because it's like yeah, I tried that and wasn't for me or but at least i tried it at yeah, least I have yeah that story. exactly yeah. and like your kids are gonna have that memory which yeah. is even cooler what um so i mean so you, i think plans here because i wanted to talk to you about that but then we just went down that interesting real estate <laughs> rabbit hole ultimate what are your ultimate plans for this property you know i'm just kind of kind of go with it we've i've realized uh to just step back and not do it so fast you know i'm 41 years old and what prompted us buying this house was you know, I was talking to my wife one day and, you know, I'm in all, we're all in all this permaculture stuff and, and homesteading and things. And, you know, knowing how long it takes a tree to grow. And I kind of started, you know, about 40. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm like, I got to, you know, I did this beautiful permaculture scape in my backyard. Little food forest in my suburban backyard. It was awesome. It got mature. It was getting mature. It was beautiful. It was producing great. And we had a small flock of chickens and everything. And I just got to the point that, you know, I'm going to be 50 in 10 years. Yeah. Like, if we're going to, you know, we've talked for years about buying land and moving out in the country and doing this stuff at a bigger scale. I'm like, if I'm going to be able to enjoy it all, I need, we need to do it. Like, yeah. I don't want to wait. I don't want to be breaking my back when I'm 60, putting in swales and digging. You know what I mean? Well, especially doing all the too, hard work. Imagine being 50 and doing what you had to do yesterday. Yeah, I know. Digging that trench for the <laughs> yeah. electric line to go in. That was, oh. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, th that reality set in, you know, I'd like to be at a riper old age and be able to enjoy it. But that being said, I still feel that I'm young enough that, you know, I'm not rushing to, like, I don't have a whole plan drawn out, like a permaculture design. Yeah. I have pieces in my head and sometimes they change and I realize, oh, after time and observation, I'm like, you know what, that wouldn't go so well here, but it would go well better over there. Or actually, or this is a better place for a swale, not there. Those, you know, I'm kind of coming to those conclusions and realizing stuff. So I'm kind of gradually going with it. I don't want to jump in and, you know, permascape the whole property, even yeah. if I had all the funds and everything to do it now. Did you get your PDC? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did Jeff Lawton's okay. online. Same. So you, Greg, and uh, Rob, I know, all did that. Yeah. I don't know if we did it at the same time or not, but yeah. I think just Justin Hunt has his and so does Steve. Yeah. And now everyone's like I don't know, like people are they're not unhappy that they did it, but they're like I did I mean I, I'm learning way more just doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. 
it's definitely a great um, education. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I would highly encourage that. Where'd your dog just go? I don't know. I think she <laughs> must have saw a squirrel in the woods. She took <laughs> off the deck like a bat out of hell. So, that was funny, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the right approach. I think it's it's interesting, man. Like even when we get in like the Columbus Permaculture Guild and people just want to have classrooms and talk about permaculture, but and when you actually do it, you it's just gotta do it. It's just yeah. like, you know, you know, we thought we wanted ducks. We got these ducks. I love duck eggs. Yeah. The whole, the whole family does. Like, yeah, we're gonna do ducks, we're gonna sell duck eggs, this is gonna be great. They were the biggest disaster. Getting so so to set this up. So we have a one acre pond. This one acre pond is um right behind our house. And what we realized quickly is is you know when the ducks weren't laying eggs when they were still too young, we put we would just leave them out on the pond twenty four seven. No big deal. But when they start laying eggs, you got to get them in. Yeah. So that was our issue. So we evolved to hate the ducks. <laughs> like they're just a bane of our existence to get them in. So now, now that we've had them for a while, we've kind of figured them out how to manage them better. Now we have methods of getting them in off the pond at night. Uh, feeding them didn't work. So I have, what works is there's two methods. We have two people on a rope, one side or the other, we herd them in. And the other method is, is I use this remote control speedboat. Yeah. And I just kind of chase them. Yeah. I just herd <laughs> them in that way. I remember when you first got that though, you were like, until I figured that out, though. Uh, but I, I remember, I, remember how, I just remember this look of disgust. Like, you know, the only way we can get these damn ducks in is with two people with a rope. I got this damn remote control boat. It's not doing anything. And then yeah. I, I was happy to hear you got it to work, though. Yeah, we got it to work. Because you were really bitter at the, like, it was a funny bitter. Yeah. Like, it was a laughing about it bitter, but you're like, yeah, I've been trying everything, man. Yeah. I can't get these off my damn pond. Yeah, it was a, with the ducks, it was a love, hate, love relationship so it's working good now that's good yeah i think the cooler thing is i want you to tell your story about how you lassoed your dog oh yeah well that was another that was the damn duck phase that was when we <laughs> yeah. hated the ducks because what happened was is you know they were the ducks were younger they weren't laying so we didn't care um their cold tolerance is unbelievable so the whole pond is froze solid there's one little part just out out towards the middle that the ducks had you know, they were moving around enough that it kept it from freezing. And our dog, our dumb dog, uh, decided she always likes to chase the ducks. So one night I'm out working, uh, doing something out here, and, and my, my other dog is barking this crazy high-pitched bark I've never heard before. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is her deal? And this went on for a while. Finally, I look out there. I had my light so um, it was dark out it was like 20 degrees that night i think it was in december and i look out and, and i saw ruby our dog's eyes out in the ice and i knew right away i saw the reflection back from her eyes i thought oh no she, she i knew she went in so you know i was really mad at the ducks at that point because they they're the reason the damn pond had that hole in it that wasn't frozen that she could go in and that's where she was yeah so yeah so so that was a. Uh, a horrific uh experience so then uh, thank god that our kids were gone it's just my wife and i so i go screaming into the house to my wife you know ruby fell through the ice you know and i'm just like what the hell are we gonna do i'm like we gotta try to save her like talk about not being prepared 
we didn't even have life jackets. We had nothing. That's crazy. So what we did was um, she grabbed a, uh, a net, like a fish net type thing. And we knew enough that you lay down on the ice. So we laid down on the ice and I had her ankle. And I had my ankle wedged in like where the cattails were. So I had a little bit of a bite. Yeah. So like if it started cracking, I could jerk her back. If I heard any cracking or anything, I would grab, I had a hold of her ankle. I was going to pull her back. And that's what we did. We heard cracks a few times. I yanked her ass back. So she's trying to get this around her head and like pull her up onto the ice. And it just wasn't working. And, you know, we got to a point that, you know, I ran back in. I got a rope, this little rope. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to lasso her. Like, I don't know what else to do. But I'm not getting too close to the edge because I'm not going to go in and die myself. Yeah. And you had zero experiencing lassoing ever. Never. You're not a cowboy. Never. And I knew how to tie a quick knot to do it. And, and that's what I did. So um, I'm out there. I'm doing it and doing it and doing it. And it's not working. And my wife walks up to me on the ice. And she's like, she's like honey, you're not going to want to hear this. You just, you just have to let her go. Oh, man. And uh, so I, it, was, it was tough. I, I, I said, so she went in. She couldn't handle it. I said, no, you know what? I'm going to stay right here with her as she dies. Yeah. I'm going to stay here the whole time. And, um, and I, I remember there was a moment where I just, I just, I knew she wasn't going to make it. And I was, I was done. And I just kind of, I was just with her, you know? Yeah. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing? I got this lasso here. If I'm going to sit here and watch her die, I'm at least going to, at least try you idiot. Yeah. You know, so I, I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And I kept missing her head. I kept buying, you could see from the, first time we got on the ice you could see the fight in her eyes yeah and that fight had just faded oh man just faded away and um she was pretty gone much gone she wasn't fighting anymore and some miracle happened and i got that lasso around her neck and when i did i pulled her out but she was so frozen she wasn't breathing right she wasn't responding like she couldn't walk she couldn't do anything so um she was just Beyond shivering, actually. Yeah. Um, like if you put your finger in the inside of her, her mouth and her gums, it was ice cold. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, and so what we did was, I'm like, well, what the hell are we going to do to warm her up fast? So we're like, let's get the warm bathtub going. I figured that's the opposite of the cold water. Yeah, the warm yeah, water yeah, would probably yeah. be the fastest way to get her body warm. So that's what we did. We put her in there. And did I your recalled, wife get in with her? Yeah, she got in with her. And she had all of her clothes on. And at one point, I'm like, I said, do you have your cell phone in your pocket? She's like, I don't know. I might. She, <laughs> turns out she didn't. Um, and then we called my we called my sister-in-law. who's a, She's a vet technician. Yeah. So she knows all about this. She's like, you're telling us what to do. And uh, that night, we ended up taking her to, we got her to come around, acting okay. And we're like, wow, this is crazy. And then we, we took her to MedVet just to make sure. And they checked her out. And they kept her for a while. And we're like, that's a miracle. That's they couldn't so believe crazy. she was, she, we figured she was at least in at least 10 minutes. Well, especially as long as the dog was barking before. Yeah, I know she was barking for a couple minutes and I was getting, you know, I was getting irritated. I was, in fact, I stopped what I was doing to go see what the hell she was barking at. So yeah. I, was, I was irritated, mad. And then that's when I saw the reflection with the, the, with the flashlight, head. the headlamp oh, of our other dog's eyes out there. And I'm like, oh God. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that was our, uh thrilling experience of uh 
getting welcome to this property. And you've uh, you've had to be a, a homestead. Can we talk about how you had to shoot a fox? Well, yeah, it's on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we can. I we uh, luckily happened to be home when it happened. We had a uh, actually the where the property used to extend to before it was sold before we bought it. The part well, of the property a, that has ramps on it that's yeah, not on yours. The one, just, just towards the road from there is um, there's a fox den. Well, the weird thing was I probably jinxed us I, a few days before this happened, or maybe even the day before. I said to my wife, I'm like, I can't believe we haven't had any raccoons. We can see these foxes on the trail cam constantly. And they've never tried to get, they've never been able to get any of our chickens or our ducks or anything. So I'm like, well, fine, we can coexist with them and that'll be okay. Um, but we were here like a day or so later and I think it was like 10 o'clock, 1030 in the morning. Um, we were in the kitchen and uh, the ducks the ducks went airborne for about 30 yards out to the middle of the pond, which oh, we've man. never seen before. And I yeah. looked at her, I'm like, what the hell spooked them? I've never seen them do that before, you know? And uh, I, we looked out and a fox had a chicken. And they were all, every, the chickens were freaking out and everything. So, so I grabbed the gun. She held the dogs back so I could actually shoot the fox. And I ran out in my socks in the mud. <laughs> I didn't have time to put my shoes on. And uh, I, sh- I shot her, dropped her with one shot. And as soon as I shot her, the, the chicken that was in her mouth just bolted out like a cannon. It was totally alive. It's, the chicken's fine, which uh, we didn't find her for a while. She actually went and hid in a, under a pine tree that they never go around, you know, because she was so freaked out by the <laughs> whole experience. But she's fine. She's fine today. Um, when, did, when did you shoot the fox? That was this, this recently, right? Like last week? No, it was uh, it was probably about the it's about a month and a half ago. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, um, and it was uh, some people were freaked out because it was it was obviously the mother of the den. Yeah, because she was lactating and. Oh man. Yeah, but you it's know, like a mixed but the, thing. But we still though. saw the dad going back and forth. We we looked it up, you know, online and stuff, and uh, the father the, the and the mother both helped raise the young, so they're fine. That's good. Yeah. It, but it's also like the double-edged sword of living in the wild. Like you don't, it's not like you're hunting the fox, but you have to you defend know, your, your exactly. It, it's kind of, you know, it's not like I can have a, a common sense conversation with a fox. Say, look, I know you have to eat too, you <laughs> yeah. and your family. You, you do one, uh, one to two or three kills a year on our chickens. Make sure they're good, quick, clean kills so they don't have to suffer. And we can coexist. It doesn't work that way. Oh, man. Actually, I've known people that have had fox attacks. And fox, similar to coyotes, will come in and kill every damn chicken that they can and leave it. For later. For later. Yeah. They'll just kill them and leave them. Yeah. And if we would have let that, that, oh, she's just got one and let it take that one chicken. Yeah. Um, the reason the chicken survived, we think, is because the... We think the mom was taking it back alive to teach the young how to kill. Which, yeah, that that's makes nature. sense. Yeah. That's nature, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to, we had to end that relationship pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, so the weird thing is, is now that we are getting coyotes, it's like, I guess the biggest sign, like, because I just listened to, well, I had Dan Flory. Yeah, that was a good interview. Thanks, man. And yeah. he was just on Rogan. And I guess apparently if you find your cat, well, and what's what's weirder though is because you put the fox out there and it disappeared. There's something yeah, got yeah. that well, fox. Yeah, well, that's what I, I told my wife. Uh, 
were talking, I said, man, I said, think of what the hell must have ran off of that. Because, you know, I figured by, you know, I don't know if it'd be down to the bones by now. But, but you have you have seen bald eagles here, too. And, yeah. And it's like, so yeah. it could have been a big bird of prey. It could have been a could have been a hawk even. I don't know. Yeah, they, or I, a turkey vulture. Yeah, but, you know, you'd think there'd be some bones left over, and I can't find the bones. So I'm thinking, what the hell kind of an animal might have went off with, with that Probably fox? just took it. Took it to its young. The only thing I can think of is a coyote. Yeah. So, and the the only scary thing is you have your sweet farm cats. Yeah. But if you do find one of them, because apparently they'll just kill them for territory. But I think they'll go after the foxes first for territory. So there's a lot of foxes around here. Yeah. And it's like a weird, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand the animals enough, but apparently coyotes and fox kind of fight it out a lot for territory. So. Hmm. Well, we ha- we I I have seen coyote on the trail cam here. I've seen a lot of fox though, a lot yeah. more fox than coyote. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, where Greg lost all his birds. He had him just he was trying to put them yeah, on his farm. out there in the pasture. Yeah. I was like, so what killed him? He's like everything, like, <laughs> everything. He saw raccoons, fox. Coyote. I think he went out. He got him the next night. Just set up a blind, didn't he? And I, I think him and Nate killed a few animals, but yeah. it, it wasn't enough. He said feral a feral cat. Killed one of his birds. Really? Yeah, like I think he said that. Like everything, I mean, everything wants to kill chickens. That's the thing. Everything yeah, chickens are chickens. at the bottom of the food chain. Food chain that's for, yeah, for sure. Well, I tell you what, man. I think we can uh, wrap it up here. I can't yeah, even see how long we've been going, but that was fun, man. Oh, yeah. over an hour. So that's good. Well, hey, thanks for having me, man. Oh man, it's, good. it's, it's great, man. You know, I wanted to. You're an interesting guy, and I think it's. I want to get more Ohio GSD people because it's like. Yeah, what I was makes, just gonna say that. Yeah, it'd be cool to have. Like all of us, be on a show or oh, something. Yeah. yeah, you learn a lot. I'm, there's a lot of. Yeah. I'm sure I shared today that a lot of the other GSD people have no idea. Yeah, you know, we don't do a lot of talking. We we yeah. goof around. I mean, but it's more joking like, around, joking around <laughs> and working. It's like yeah. let's go build a fence or let's yeah. butcher birds or let's do let's do something. And it's uh, yeah, I I, I think it'd be cool for people to find out the community because I think what makes it so special is because. Everybody is interesting. Like everybody is doing their own thing, and everybody, and it really is just kind of a cohesive thing. Like it is nice to have Greg and his hillbilly wisdom come out and help people. Like there were certain things we were trying to, we we're building that fence last week, and Paul, mm-hmm. um, your your neighbor Paul, he's like really not. He's 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 kind of close. He's just rough. Uh, I, I don't want to say it on the podcast. I don't want to give out all of his information, <laughs> but he's just off a, a main street. I think you guys talked where he is, but. Um, we were trying to figure out how to do this fence, and yeah. Paul was going to get cattle panel, and he's getting like small goats, and not the big goats. Apparently, the small goats aren't as big of an escape artist. And uh, Greg's like, "Well, if we just weave the the fencing through, you don't have to get it." We're like, "Oh yeah, I never thought of that." And I've never built a fence. I mean, I just try to get fences taken down. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I have no idea. I'm just like, yeah, I can do work. I can do labor. Yeah, I'm never usually the brains of the operation. I tell you, that's, that, sure. that's what's beautiful about the group. Uh, it's really, you know, it's 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 a group that's founded on giving, and that's what's so powerful about it. Everybody yeah. pitches in and helps everybody out. Uh, it's, it's it's pretty awesome. It is, man, and it's and it and just imagine like. Cause you did. You have all these poles that looks like you. Yeah, I did that with own. my neighbor. That was just to mark the property lines. You know, I I may fence up front for the pastures at some point, but yeah. like for now, I'm like 
time and money and stuff. I like, I just got the electro net and I figure I'll just ship that around with the pigs and the sheep if we end up doing those. Yeah. Doing it in that manner, at least the first year. For you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I, th- I mean, that's all Greg does with a lot of his stuff is just the electro netting and, and, uh, actually it's just a couple wires. Yeah. He does. Pigs. He'll do the, he's got it nice with the T post. I don't, I don't want to commit to that cause I don't know, like, you know, Maybe I'll love doing the pigs and I'll do more next year and sell them. Maybe I won't do them at all. So I don't want to put T posts all through the forest and set up all these different paddocks and For all. Sure. This. And plus that butts into like some of my hunting territory, yeah. and then you got that issue. And so I got to kind of get my toes wet yeah. and see what's going to work and what's not. Well, and what figure I like. out what do you enjoy most about being out here? Right? Exactly. And that's exactly. Like, that's something I talked to Greg about. Like he has. You know, he has that 10-acre plot, and he was talking about scaling pigs. He's like, well, I like hunting back there, too, so why would yeah. I want to take pigs back there? Yeah. Because they're definitely not going to keep deer around. Yeah, pigs. yeah. So I think with the pigs, for me, I'm going to ship them more on the sides here because I'll do more hun- hunting back there. Cool. Well, yeah. so, so Shane, if people want to contact you or follow you, whatever you're doing. Yeah, they could really – most of the guys in the group have my cell phone number. You can get me on Facebook. Yeah. Get me uh so people can follow you and maybe people have natural beekeeping questions for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I love to help people out. I still do uh get my hands dirty with the bees. But like I said before, I am like the Pillsbury doughboy when I get suited up. I yeah. have layers on so you know, even through the suit they can't they can't sting me just to be safe. Yeah, um, you like you like helping out, but it's not something you can do every day. No, like when you have, you know, we go through like ten or fifteen hives like I had at times it's 90 degrees out suited up like that it's just no way you had, you had 15 hives in a suburban yeah well i had some of them at my oh, i have a property, property in shockton yeah. county i put some of them out there yeah, yeah i'd suit up and do that and i was like oh. <laughs> yeah it's just too too much heat yeah yeah well that's cool man well i'm glad i had you on i've been wanting to do this for a while and it's always i was either busy or you were busy so um yeah but yeah, man, it's a great time, man. I love love your guys' property. I love your your dogs and your cats and uh, and everything yeah. like that, man. So thanks for thanks for coming out, man. Thanks for letting me come out, man. So everybody, thanks for listening and uh, looking forward to bringing you guys another show.